Welcome to She Breeds, where the goal of every podcast episode is to inspire and empower women to up-level and lean in to the best versions of themselves. I hope you enjoy. Good morning and happy Friday. Here we are again at the end of another week. These weeks just fly by. It's really bizarre, but here we are and it's another crisp, cool fall morning. Last weekend was the fall equinox as I talked about on the podcast. And so here we are a week into fall already. And I love fall. I don't know, like I said, maybe it's because I'm an October baby, but I just love this season. It's a great time to kind of start hunkering down and planting seeds for the future seasons and all of that kind of stuff. So I am very excited about our guest today. Her name is Celeste Yvonne, and she is a writer, mom, and marketing professional. Her work on parenting, the mental load of motherhood, mommy wine culture, and sobriety resonates with mothers around the globe. And her work has been featured in the Washington Post, Good Morning America, The Today Show, and Refinery29, among other publications and news outlets. Um, Celeste is more than five years sober and a founding host of the Sober Mom Squad. She is an advocate for mothers who struggle with addiction and a recipient of the Windfelt Inspire Award by the Dry Society Social Club. Celeste's new book is called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture, which is available for purchase everywhere books are sold. Celeste lives in Reno, Nevada with her husband and two boys. So I so enjoy talking to Celeste because this topic is one that kind of gets swept under the rug um, when moms are really struggling with the overwhelm and the amount of mental load that we carry. A lot of moms do resort to, you know, a glass of wine or uh, truly or whatever is your beverage of choice and one drink turns into two, turns into three, and it can become very, very problematic. And so um, this is this was the case with Celeste, and so she ended up writing an entire book about it. And it's fascinating. I love her tone in this book. It's very readable and relatable. And um, I look forward for I'm excited for you all to hear this interview with her. So here we go. Hello, Celeste. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, so good to be here. So as I mentioned in the introduction, Celeste is the author of It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. And this is um, a topic that is close to my heart and that I am so curious about and just have, I don't know, it's just, it's a topic that I think a lot of moms need to be aware of if they are not already. Um, And we are so honored to have her on the show today. And so before further, without further ado, we'll get going with the questions. Sounds good. Okay. So um, tell us, before we kind of get going with the book and sort of the topic at hand, tell us a little about your professional background and, you know, how you got into the world of writing and blogging. Yeah, I think it was kind of more accidental than anything. I was in public relations and marketing uh, from the majority of my corporate career uh, from out of grad school. And uh, I've wrote press releases and I wrote communications to shareholders and stakeholders and, you know, all the things. Uh, And I started writing personally when I was pregnant with my second child. Uh, I just started blogging. I felt like I had something to say and I wanted to talk about it, but 
I didn't know else where to talk about it. When we're pregnant, early on in pregnancy, generally we don't talk about it until we hit the second trimester. But I had things I wanted to say in the first trimester. Yeah. And so I started blogging about it. Uh, it started as an anonymous blog. And I, I just kept going um, after my second was born and kind of talked about this, the expectations we have around motherhood and uh, how we are revered for being able to do it all and make it look easy and how I was drowning while attempting to do it all, let alone make it look easy. Uh-huh. And I, I just wanted to kind of lay out that um, that kind of brutal honesty about just how hard this is and how, uh, while some people make this look and feel seamless, I am not one of them. And I think people appreciated that uh, in a world where there was a lot of Pinterest moms um, who only showed kind of the beautiful side of it or the fulfilling side of it. And I shared more of the nitty gritty and the the brutal side of it. And um, that's kind of what, how the whole writing side of it started. I continued with my corporate career and my motherhood blogging was just a fun thing I did on the side uh, just to kind of say my piece and uh, speak my mind about things that were top of top of mind to me at the time. And that's really just kind of where it all began. Yes. And I feel like um, this was a question further down, but I feel like it's more relevant now. So in your blog, and also I got a, I got a pre-copy of, or I got a, um, a, an advanced copy of the book or whatever. And um, I, I love how you explain the mental load. So for those of you, for those, for the readers who may not really think about that very much, can you tell us what you mean by mental load? Yeah. When I'm talking about the mental load, I'm talking about the responsibility of parenting and household duties. In addition to organizing, reminding, planning for the family, uh, as well as setting the emotional tone for the household, you know, uh, kind of exhibiting the type of energy you want to catch on to your family at any given time. I I feel like mothers more often than not understand what that means. Yeah. Uh, Where when you want your family to have a good day, you have to be that lighthouse, that beacon that shows positive vibes, positive feelings, positive energy and hope it spreads uh, to set your kids up for a good day. Yes, absolutely. I've I've also heard described as the mom is kind of the pulse of the family. And so, because we're always the one behind the scenes, like managing everything. Um, and I'm hoping that in future generations, whether we're moms of sons or daughters, we sort of help dispel that expectation to a degree, you know, um, so that, you know, dads and partners can take on some of the responsibilities. So it's not so much on the mother. Um, okay. Now, when did you first recognize that mommy wine culture was an issue or when, when did it start to become alarming to you? I was a perpetrator of mommy wine culture in my early years of motherhood. I was one of the ones, you know, making the means sharing the message that mommy needs wine to survive motherhood. Uh, so it wasn't until I started to explore my own sobriety 
uh, and realized my drinking had become a problem uh, on my journey that I started to notice that this message that mommy needs wine to survive motherhood is problematic. Um, and all it really did for me for years was justify what was increasingly becoming a problem for me and um, made it feel harmless, if not expected, that motherhood and alcohol just go together. And that's when I started to kind of wave the flag and just say, this is a problem. Like this message is a problem. I fell for it. I was part of the problem. And now I'm seeing it from another angle and I'm realizing uh, all the issues that come with this message, uh, mm -hmm. kind of like as a way of saying, hey guys, I screwed up. I'm sorry. Let me share from you, uh, share for you how I see it now. So maybe we don't keep making the same mistake. Yes. Okay. Um, and why do you feel like, or how do you, why do you feel like that, that even happened? Like, why do you feel like moms feel the need to drink or it, like, why, why do you, they, you think that they feel that they need to do that? Yeah. I mean, it took me years to understand why, you know, I used to blame alcohol. I used to say alcohol is the problem. Uh, alcohol companies are the problem because they are clearly targeting women. They're clearly targeting mothers, especially, you know, you see a lot of alcohol products now. There's one called mom water. Uh, there's different drinks out there that are clearly targeting mothers, right? And I mm -hmm. used to think that was uh, the problem. But what I, I realized, you know, this took me years of research and writing this book I, I wrote, is that mommy wine culture is really a symptom of a much larger issue uh, because mothers are in this place right now. We are in this perfect storm of expectations, pressures, and a lag of systemic progress. And we are probably our most vulnerable uh, and an easy target, essentially. I, and I think alcohol companies picked up on that, that we are undervalued, we're undersupported, and in desperate need of uh, somebody to acknowledge that we need more help. And the people who probably would be of the most help don't acknowledge it, but alcohol companies do. <laughs> I know. And then they'll have all these models, like they have all these brand awareness, like brand ambassadors out there on social media, like, you know, perpetuating their message because unknowingly, you know, I mean, they're selling mom water and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got the moms at a baby shower drinking the mom water and they're posting it all over social media, just advertising for these brands. You know, it's like, um, it's just like a whole cyclic thing that's happening. Um, and I feel, you know, it's interesting because when I was growing up there, you know, having alcohol at birthday parties and baby showers and wedding showers wasn't like a thing, you know, it was like punch. Yeah. And so now it's like a thing where when you have a birthday party for like a seven-year-old, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to have like alcohol, like, or I mean, it's not a thing for everyone, but it is sort of like very common for that to be right. the case. Um, okay. Well, Thank you. And okay. So, so also why, oh, th th so this isn't, it feels like, why do you, why do you think moms are ashamed of asking for help or at least acknowledging that they're struggling? Because I think uh, in the United States, but in other countries too, but you know, I, I'm speaking from my experience in the United States. Um, we have put this message of individualization 
on such a pedestal that um, we can do this and we can do this ourselves. Uh, we don't need help. Um, asking for help is a form of weakness. I mean, I, I feel like we perpetuate this message in so many ways, but absolutely in motherhood uh -huh. uh, that we can do it and we can make it look easy and we can do it without asking for help. And yeah. uh there's so many problems with that message around motherhood because I, I genuinely believe motherhood's not meant to be a one person job. This, I, I want this to be a, a job where there's multiple people, multiple sources of support and a community surrounding us that wants, uh, you know, that wants to build yes. uh, these children um, and wants to, put them in a place to thrive and not, you know, put these kids and these mothers in little bubbles and kind of push them off and say, good luck. And which is where we're at right now. So I, I genuinely believe we have lost that concept, you know, the village concept in so many ways through this individualism message. Um, and we need it back. We like, we need to change that message. We, we should not be putting this concept that we can do it all ourselves as the end goal. Cause it, it doesn't have to be, and I don't think it should be. Right. I think we're the only country that doesn't have, you know, most countries, mothers and mothers-in-law and, and aunts and all these people come to help for like months after a baby yeah. is born, you know, so um, many ways. Yes. And I think we see that too in the fact that we are one of the only countries on earth that does not have federal paid maternity leave. I mean, I feel like that speaks volumes for how undersupported mothers are in this country. Oh my gosh. Um, and, but then I'm hearing from people in other countries who are saying, yes, okay, but we are undersupported in a lot of other ways too. So don't oh, okay. rule us out. Um, I hear this from Canada. I just heard this from Ireland and the UK. So there are mothers feel undersupported in multiple countries. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I, and I was fascinated to hear that too. So I think it is an evolving concept where women across the globe are coming out saying we need more support. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and you made a distinction in, in the book between literal sobriety and emotional sobriety. So can you tell the audience what's meant by that? Yeah. And, and this is something that took me a while to figure out too, but literal sobriety is just abstaining from alcohol. It's being alcohol free, but emotional sobriety is working to a place where you can live in your body and experience the flux of emotions that come with being a human without needing anything to cope uh, chemically, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, as far as, and I'm not talking about antidepressants or anti-anxiety medication, obviously I'm talking about um, alcohol and using alcohol, yeah. it as a crutch to survive the influx of emotions that come with being a human. And it takes work to get there. You know, you will not get there just by abstaining from alcohol. You will get there through uh, finding a community of support, going to therapy, um, speaking, uh, educating yourself mm -hmm. on um, how to take care of ourselves. Meditation helps, mm -hmm. but really just learning how to live in your body 
without uh, numbing it out to escape. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and then how, like uh, along those lines, alcohol waters down motherhood. So explain a little bit about that, how alcohol, you know, being in that state of like tipsiness, you may think it's kind of numbing the hard feelings, but how is it also numbing the actual experience of motherhood? Yeah. And that's something that um, really hit me um, hard was when I realized that while I might be numbing or softening the blow of the hard parts of motherhood, alcohol is also numbing out the beautiful, blissful moments. Like it, uh, numbing is numbing. It's not exclusive to just the bad feelings. It's going to numb out the good stuff. And, you know, when I think about some of my baby and my children's first milestones, you know, the first time they walked, their first words, um, I'll never get to experience that again without a few glasses of wine in my system. I'll never get to refeel what it felt like sober and present to see these momentous moments in my child's development um, with just what it feels like to be alive, naturally alive and human um, in that moment again. Um, and, and, you know, I don't say that to shame myself or anything to, to make anybody feel bad. I, I say it to recognize what we now know, like knowing yeah. what I now know, I can do things differently today. Like I can be present for my kids today. Um, and I, you know, the milestones are going to look different and they do, but I still, we still as mothers, as parents, we get the opportunity to be sober and present for our children today. And that's the gift. And that's the realization that I hope people hear from this message. Yes. I mean, you, we can always move forward. You can't just, yeah. you know, perseverate on what, you know, you, we could have done or should have done in the past, but you've learned from it. And now we can all just, yeah. Cause my kids are 14 and 11. I have stepkids in there and the milestones now are so cool as well. You know, yeah, they really um, are. Yes. And so, um, yeah, I was just thinking, I love when you said numbing, numbing is numbing. So you're numbing out all the good stuff too. And, um, okay. So if a mom is having trouble managing all the expectations, what is some, what are some things that she could do instead of turning to alcohol? Yeah. So as we talked about before, alcohol really is just the symptom, uh, of larger issues. What I would talk to, what I do talk to mothers about is how do we get to the root of those issues that we're trying to numb out? For a lot of mothers, you know, when I speak to women who are struggling with their drinking, uh, we talk about household labor, childcare, you know, if they are living with a partner, how do we have that conversation about who's doing what at home and how we can redistribute it to be more level? You know, yeah. it's never going to be 50-50, but we can reevaluate who should be doing what and what makes the most sense, not necessarily because of traditional gender roles, but because it just makes the most sense. Right. I think these are the conversations that um, a lot of women, you know, and I'm speaking very generally here, but just from statistics, I've seen a lot of women in traditional households are retaining these gender heavy roles of 
what being a mother at home looks like uh, without considering who's working, where they're working. Uh, a lot of these newer things have come up in 2023 where a lot of mothers are returning back to work. And so the roles and responsibilities on the household front need to be reevaluated accordingly. Uh, and yet we see statistically mothers, regardless of whether they go back to work or not, are still taking on the majority of the household labor and the childcare. Um, and that needs to change. You know, that these are the conversations we need to be having uh, if there's another adult in the household uh -huh. uh, to redistribute that workload uh, so it doesn't feel quite so heavy and automatically fall on one parent over another. So I, I say to start there, uh, it's a huge conversation. It's a conversation that has to happen right. um, to have a healthy relationship. Yeah, and, it, and it's not a doom and gloom conversation either. I no. think a lot of people go into it thinking, um, oh my God, you know, brace yourself. Uh, when I had this conversation with my husband, the first of many, I might add, um, I, it was so revealing for both of us. You know, my husband said to me, I wish you had let me in to help and to be an equal partner from the beginning, but yeah. I didn't, I pushed back because of this whole individualism concept. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the do it all mom. You know, I was putting out this message that I'm, I'm the do it all mom. I'm the superhuman who does it all and makes it look easy. And I was pushing my partner away in the process. Hmm. Um, and then when he did try to step in, when he did try to take on certain things, I pushed back on him and told him he was doing it wrong or oh, yeah. I didn't like the way he did it. And yeah, all these things that I didn't realize I was doing, but I was absolutely doing. These are um, kind of the moments in these conversations where you have these aha, oh my God, I didn't uh -huh. realize <laughs> Yeah. I didn't realize what I was doing this whole time. Right. And I feel like it's so systemic, even in ways like as, as I feel like, okay, so as a mom of boys, I feel like that, that the boys are expected to to do the yard work. They're expected to do with all the manual labor. They're expected to fix everything. Like even yeah. in it's, and then the girls are expected to be nurturing. They're expected to to help in the kitchen, put the dishes up. So I'm really, we're really trying to like, not make that, like not do that because it just feels like what if I mean one of my sons doesn't like doing yard work but he loves cooking so it's like yeah. why is it the expectation that the, the men have to mow the grass I mean a lot of men hate doing the yard work and th then they feel like even as grown men they have to do it you know so a woman may love to do yard work and it gives her a break from from parenting so I just feel like everything should be reevaluated for you know young people who are just coming into parenthood like I just and I feel like us we can be their crystal ball they don't have to go through it for 10 years before they figure it out you know yeah, um, I feel like we're completely setting our kids up to uh, thrive in future relationships when we kind of set that blank canvas. The, yes. There's no gender role here. Like we're going to make, we're going to figure the household responsibilities out uh, based on what's the most logical, not based on whether you identify as a man or a woman. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, so 
a little bit about the book. Um, what was your originally, when did you have the inspiration to write a book about, about the mommy wine culture? So originally I was going to write a book about motherhood and it was going to be called the ultimate mom challenge. And it was going to be this book on how to be the ultimate mom, right? Basically everything I just told you, (laughs) the reasons why mothers are, are melting in this societal stew. Um, I was going to perpetuate that too. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, you had had an epiphany. I know. And I really did because in this whole dream of mine to be this ultimate mom, I fell into a drinking spiral and I fell, and I call it now this alcohol trap. I fell into the alcohol trap uh, deep because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't and do things that just no one human can can do. I certainly couldn't. And, um, I had to quit drinking, you know? So here I am trying to write this book about how to be the ultimate mom, realizing I have a drinking problem. I have to quit. So I quit. And, uh, when I hit one year sober, my agent for this book, I was going to write on how to be the ultimate mom reached out to me. Cause I, that's the first time I wrote about it. I wrote my one year sober post saying, you guys won't believe this, but, um, I'm one year sober. I, I bet you didn't know I had a drinking problem. Well, um, I didn't either, uh, but I did and I'm sober and everything's changed basically in a nutshell. That's what my post was. And my agent called me and she's like, we gotta, we, we gotta put aside that first book. Yeah. Um, because this is the book, like, this is what you need to be talking about is how women are aspiring to be these superhumans. Um, and in the meantime, they're drowning. They're drowning in the very alcohol we are encouraging them to drink to survive. And um, so that's really where the idea was inspired from. I um, started thinking, that's really when I had the critical thinking around mommy wine culture, why it's so problematic, how I fell for it, and why are more women drinking than ever? <clears throat> because they are, you know, we're showing more and more stats are coming out especially since the pandemic, that's showing that women are not only drinking more than ever, but doing more high risk drinking than ever. Mm. And I don't think it's a coincidence. And I don't think um, it's a surprise because um, women have this weight on them to, to do it all, to make it look easy And then I think about the lack of postpartum support we see, the lack of benefits and flexibility at work for mothers who return to work. Um, There's so many ways that we fail new mothers uh, in in this society uh, that it's not all that surprising that they look look towards ways to medicate it, uh, just like I did. Um, So that's really what inspired the book. And I bet that you had so much more passion behind that topic than the Ultimate Mom Challenge. (laughs) Oh yeah. And when I go back and look on, you know, my outline of the ultimate mom challenge, um, it was absolutely a fake it till you make it concept. You know, this whole thought that one of these days I'm going to actually get it right. But in the meantime, I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing when I absolutely Mm. don't. It's like you cracked open and your true purpose like came in and it just, I love stories like that. You're like, this isn't the book I meant to write. Um, Now, what do you mean about, what are some examples of high-risk drinking? So high-risk drinking, I think by CDC standards would be um, 
more than three drinks for women in a night. Um, So I think that kind of shocked people because a lot of people drink more than three drinks in a night. Uh, Socially, uh, there's, I guess, technically, there's five glasses of wine in a bottle. And yet I could drink an entire bottle in an evening by the end of my drinking days. Um, It's easy to do. It's easy to get there. And I think the scary part about addiction and my drinking problem was my tolerance was so high. I felt like I had full control even after four drinks. Mm. Uh, And, you know, I think in in some ways I did because my tolerance was so high. The problem is whether or not you feel in control, you're not. Yeah. uh, Because that's not. You're not, yeah, you're numb to the extent where that cognitively you feel like you're fine. Uh, but that's part of the alcohol talking. Um, and also you're going to have long lasting implications health wise, regardless of how you feel in the moment or how in control you feel. Uh, you know, I work with sober moms. I work with moms in recovery yeah, uh, almost every that. day. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a founding host of sober mom squad. I, I lead meetings for mothers who identify or, you know, anyone who identifies as a mother and is exploring sober living. Um, and these are women in their thirties, their forties, their fifties who are already seen long-term health implications from excessive alcohol. And I, I mean, the, the scary part about this, and not all women, of course, but these are women who partook in high-risk drinking for an amount of time where their body is now suffering as a result. Oh um, and it's scary. You know, it's scary, when, especially when you feel like you're still young. You don't have to worry about this stuff yet. And these women are uh, coming back with serious health implications, um, even though they're still so young. Uh, and, and that's the, the hard, cold facts of consuming alcohol um, at, in high amounts at a young age. Like, it's going to have ramifications. And, and even though it feels safe, even though you feel like you're in control, and even though all your friends seem to be doing it too, it doesn't make it safe. Right. And unfortunately, these women see are, are paying the price. Uh and then, you know, I think about my own journey. I didn't have any health implications other than when, other than nasty hangovers, but it was just a matter of time. Like yeah. none of us are going to be able to avoid it eventually. Right. Because it affects every system in the body. Yeah. And it's so toxic. It's so toxic. It's such a toxic, I mean, it's literally diluted poison <laughs> for lack of a better way to yeah. say it. I mean, uh, so, it's ethanol, and the, and ethanol yeah. is what we put in our cars. Yeah, to, to run the same ethanol we put in our cars. So, eventually, if you don't have the immediate implications of you know driving under the influence, a car crash, or you know getting arrested, whatever it is, you will. If you keep playing the game, you will absolutely have the long term implications, and that's. Yeah. That's so scary and sad. Um, and yet we play this game socially that we 
laugh about it or make jokes about it or say mommy needs it to cope uh, without addressing the elephant in the room. Yep. And I love how you distinguish in the book between, I think, you know, alcoholism in kind of, you know, media and like movies. It's, you know, you think, oh, they wake up at 10 o'clock and start like pounding vodka. But I like how you distinguish like, you know, you can get home at five, you can wait till your husband gets home at five o'clock and then pop open the bottle of wine. And by 10 o'clock, you think you're going to like sleep it off and you, and you like, you know, stick the wine bottle deep in the recycling bin or however, you know, when you said it, I thought it was very visual in my head. Cause like, I'm sure that a lot of moms are like, Oh, whoops, that's the end of the bottle. Oh my gosh. And then you just shove it at the bottom of the recycling bin. And then, you know, of course the next day you feel terrible, but it's like, I mean, I think it's important to note that drinking, you know, and also drinking by yourself at night or while you're cooking by yourself or whatever, that's not like a social, that's not even that that's like, if you're by yourself doing it, then that, then that right there is problematic, you know? But the point is, I like how you distinguish between just like traditional, like the whole image of an alcoholic versus kind of this mommy wine culture, which almost makes them feel like, well, you're waiting till five o'clock and you're not driving the kids anywhere, but it's still problematic. Yeah. And, and, you know, the message too, I've heard is you're never alone because you've got kids, you know, I think you can justify pretty much anything if you twist your message the right way right Uh, so it really has to come down to your gut like in your gut does it feel safe or does it feel problematic um and trust it trust your gut because your body doesn't want to be consuming poison um on any given occasion either so uh if we listen to our bodies and not numb our bodies out every time, um, our body's probably going to try to steer us the sober direction too. Yeah, I know. It's, it's just, it's just, it's like a really worrisome. Um, I love your book and I love this whole, that we're just getting, that we're, they're airing this out. And it's like, and there's so much, there's so much more of a movement towards sober culture than there was like 10 years ago. Um, so I love that. Um, but for young mothers, I just wish there would be a big pendulum shift where they don't feel like, they have to turn to alcohol to cope, you know, and, and I, I don't know. Um, okay. So I just think the work you are doing is extremely noble and brave. And um, like I said, there's definitely a movement towards sobriety. And I'm just hopeful that these younger generations won't feel that pressure to numb because I think like, like Celeste said, like, you know, numbing is numbing is numbing. So even though you're numbing out, like the stress and the overwhelm, you're also numbing out the joy and the mindfulness and all of that. Um, so, for some of these younger mothers, um, what would be advice that you would give? Like if you could be their crystal ball, what, what would, what would some advice you would give to young moms? Um, yeah, I think what I would tell mothers, anyone who kind of feels like they have this mental load, um, that just feels unsustainable or untenable. Um, if you are using alcohol, um, are you leaning on it to survive motherhood, there is a better way to do it. And the way is, the approach is to lighten your load. And mm-hmm. and I, I address different ways you can do that, both with your partner or with your anxiety or with your health. I, you know, every chapter in my book kind of addresses a different perspective of how to handle it with your work life. I mean, there's all sorts of ways to do it. Um, one of the coolest things that came out of the pandemic for me as a mother in recovery was um, that communities for people 
who struggle with alcohol or are currently sober went virtual. And I think for mothers, this was a huge win because prior to the pandemic, any sort of recovery or support meeting or community was in person. And as a mom with young kids, that's just hard to do. Yeah. You know, for me to find somebody to watch the children um, and then feeling like I needed to explain myself when I wasn't really sure what kind of community or recovery support I needed felt like double the, the challenge. Now, recovery communities are so available online. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in however you see your relationship with alcohol, uh, this was such a big, important transition for mothers, especially now you can go on a recovery meeting and just test the waters without even turning your camera on. You can just listen in and be a fly on the wall and see if this is the right fit for you without feeling like you have to find someone to watch your kids, yeah. uh, shop across you know, the, the town to find a, an in-person meeting. It's really an easy way to kind of preview what a community support would look like. Uh, and I, I just, I love that for us. I love that for moms. I love that for women. I love that for anybody in recovery because this was such an important um, a tr- a transition for the recovery community. Uh, so I would encourage mothers to test the waters. Um, there's something really unique and special about being in a safe place where you can share your story with other people who know what you're talking about Absolutely. and who can who can identify with what you're saying. Um, and I just think it's a great opportunity for anyone who feels like that maybe in their gut, they don't like the way their drinking has gone, but they're not really sure what else to do or how to approach it. Or they're embarrassed to kind of go to somebody who's not also going through a similar, but like with these, with these virtual recovery programs, like you said, they can be a fly on the wall and then kind of listen and decide is, you know, is this for me? And I'm sure that they will be intrigued because it's probably the exact community that they were looking for. Um, Okay. So I, to the audience, um, Celeste's book, it's so well-written and I just found that it was in a tone that was very engaging and, but also holds a lot of depth. So I feel like a lot of, um, self-help type books or whatever self-improvement books can, can sometimes get dry, but I feel like she speaks and I can tell, I can see why you're such a popular blogger because she speaks in a way that it's basically like you're having a conversation. And so it feels, it's very easy to read. And, um, yeah. So tell the audience how they can get a copy of the book. Yeah, uh, so the book is called It's Not About the Wine, The Loaded Truth Behind Mommy Wine Culture. It's available anywhere books are sold except audio. We do not have an audio version out uh, at this time. Uh, So yeah, get it at your favorite bookstore. And uh, you can find me on social media at The Ultimate Mom Challenge uh, for Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, whatever your favorite social media is. Because now I feel like the ultimate mom challenge is not being a perfect mom. The ultimate mom challenge is being your most authentic self and, you know, a more more joyful mother by lightening the load. That's the ultimate mom challenge now. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) mean, still a great title. It's evolved, right? I mean, as my journey's evolved, so has the meaning 
of the ultimate mom and the ultimate mom challenge. And I love that. I love that um, we're all in this journey together and um, that it, it's changing as we change. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I will put all this information in the show notes. And I really encourage all of you to get the book and follow Celeste and, um, and just keep following her because it's such an interesting topic. And especially if you're somebody struggling with this, you know, take what she says to heart and, you know, read the book. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Susanna. This was so nice. Yes. Maybe we can have a, um, a, we, we can meet again at a later time and see how everything's going. Yeah. Check in. That'd be great. Okay. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. My goal is to share information and inspiration so that women feel seen, heard, and empowered. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. Lastly, if you have a topic or idea that you want to hear more about, or if you want me to expound upon a topic I've previously discussed, please let me know. Message me on any of my social media platforms or email at susanna.shetley at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.